praise thee. All things praise thee, most high, heaven, earth, and sea, and sky. All were for thy glory made, that thy greatness thus displayed. Should all worship bring to thee, all things praise thee. to see everyone here this morning and we're glad to welcome everyone who's worshiping with us via streaming. Um, it's been a good week and it's a beautiful day to worship our God. I would like to start by reading from Psalm 95. If you have a Bible, pull it out. Psalm 95 beginning with verse 1 or just listen as I read. Why are we here? This is one reason. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let us sing him psalms of praise. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. He owns the depths of the earth and even the mightiest mountains are his. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the sheep under his care. Let's worship God. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. Sing and heaven and nature sing. 
shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, David. Much appreciated. Good morning, and uh, welcome to our post-Christmas uh, service. I'm a little loud. Am I loud? feel loud. Uh, if you want to bring me down just a little bit, don't bring me down, but lower my volume. Uh, I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas. I know my family uh, and I had a, a fantastic Christmas, and I wanted to share with you, I'm sure you all have a gift you received this year that was maybe your favorite gift. Um, my family does a Christmas gift exchange. We have, we have a very large extended family, uh, my, my you know, mom's side specifically. And so we draw names at the you know, beginning of the fall seasons so we can kind of start thinking about the individual that we're going to buy a gift for. And my cousin uh, drew my name, my cousin Eric, who is uh, probably 12 years younger than I am. Um, Eric, uh, Eric is a very thoughtful giver, and I have to say this is genuinely my favorite gift I received this year. Uh, he, uh, he was very proud of it, and I want to share it with you this morning. Uh, this is what I got from my cousin. Be careful. 
or you'll end up in my sermon. Uh, just a word of warning. Although, come spend time with me, please. Um, I promise I won't humiliate you. Uh, I, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I hope that you had a, a good time of reflection with your family, um, that you were blessed by the season, by the opportunity to remember uh, what, we, what we believe about our Savior who came to be among us. For me, that's uh, the, the key part of Christmas, is remembering that God chose to send his Son to be among us. And last week we talked about that idea of God's peace being among us, the peace that was on earth. And this week I want to talk about uh, how I think God is telling us what he expects of leaders within the church. And I've chosen the title for these next two uh, sermons, um, In the Field. Because when I think about leadership within Scripture, when I think about individuals that God calls to lead his people, to provide them guidance, to work among his people so that they might pursue what it is that he's called them to, he calls not just metaphorical shepherds, but literal shepherds in many cases. I, I want to uh, point out, you know, obviously in the New Testament we have uh, the repeated use of the title shepherd uh, and the metaphor of shepherd. Um, Peter employs this metaphor at the beginning of, of this passage. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is a natural turn of phrase for Peter. It's not something that he's uh, taking and, and trying to you know, fit into the context of the situation here. This is, this is something that he's very comfortable employing. First of all, because Jesus uses the term uh, over and over again to talk about sheep and shepherding. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Uh, later on in the same passage, he talks about how the chief shepherd will appear. And of course, he's referring to Jesus. There's this idea that the elders within the church are shepherds under the chief shepherd, that they have a responsibility to the body of Christ. And Peter has chosen his words very carefully. These are not individuals who are apart from the body. They are with the body. Shepherd the flock that is among you, in your presence, where you are. And this morning, I want us to think about this. Next week, we're going to get more specific on some of the New Testament passages and uh, things that they talk about as far as the, the expectations for what an elder looks like in his personal life. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about the broader image, the metaphor that the Bible employs of shepherds, but also the specific men that God called who were shepherds. And in order to do that, we're going to talk a little bit about Moses and we're going to talk about David. And I want to talk about what I think it is that Moses learned as a shepherd and what I think it is that David forgot as a king. See, uh, Moses is a man who, at the beginning of his life, enters into the royal family of Egypt. He enters into this royal family through happenstance, you know, no, not happenstance, Providence. God ordains a, a route for Moses to end up in the household of Pharaoh, provision for him to not suffer at the hands of the Egyptians and find death as an infant, but instead to be raised 
and, and protect it for a future role that he'll have. And of course, we speculate what it is that Moses would have discovered as a prince of Egypt, as a man raised in the royal household, or in proximity at least, to the going-ons of the royalty of Egypt. He would have been an educated individual. He would have been very uh, well-versed in, in probably the, the uh, pantheon of gods that the, Romans wor- or the Egyptians worshipped. Um, he would have been someone who understood the hierarchical structure of the nation. And there's a lot of good stuff that could come out of that if you're going to lead a group of people. It seems like a really obvious choice. Yeah, Moses, this guy who was raised close to the most powerful man in the world, who had the uh, chance to observe him, he seems like a pretty logical guy to lead a nation, right? But God doesn't call Moses out of the palace. See, Moses makes a mistake. He, uh, uh, maybe it's not a mistake. Moses kills a man to protect an Egyptian or a Hebrew slave from the Egyptian man. Now, I think that it shows his impetuousness, his lack of foresight on what may happen if he's discovered. Uh, but he kills the man, and as a result, he has to flee into the wilderness. And I think that there's something very stark about that idea that here at kind of the beginning, as far as we're concerned, of Moses' adulthood, he becomes a murderer on the run, fearful for his life. I think it tells us that he wasn't ready to lead in the way that God called him to lead later in life. Moses goes off into the wilderness, and he becomes a son-in-law, and he becomes a shepherd under a man who owns his own flocks. A priest, a man of God who owns his own flocks, and Moses shepherds his father-in-law's flocks. He, he takes them where they're supposed to go. He provides for them. He sees to their care. He protects them from the elements and from the, the difficulties that they're going to face out there in the wilderness. And it's there in the wilderness that God calls Moses after he's spent years learning to be a shepherd and maybe spent years forgetting what it's like to be a king. See, Moses, Moses had that proximity, and maybe he saw both the benefits and the downfalls of what it means to be a king. If you're a king, you always get your own way. What you want is what's most important. What's best for you is most important. That's the mindset of a king. Someone who rules over his people in a domineering and, and, and powerful way. As a shepherd, you're often at the whims of your sheep. Now, you're going to lead them. You know the direction you're going to take them, but you have to, you have to pull them along with you sometimes. Sometimes you have to rescue them out of their own self-inflicted dangers. Sometimes you have to provide for them protection from what comes outside of the flock. Sometimes you have to protect them from the things that are inside of the flock. You find that one of the sheep is sick, and you have to set it aside apart from the rest of the flock so that the disease isn't transmitted to the rest of the flock. You have all these little bits and pieces of care and, and decision-making that have to be taken into consideration as you, as you shepherd the sheep. And Moses feels an extra weight of responsibility because he knows the sheep aren't his. They're the sheep of someone he loves the sheep of someone he cares about, the sheep of someone that he feels a great burden to, maybe not a burden, but a great debt of responsibility to, a man who took him into his own home, a man who treats him like a son, a man that later on we see gives him good advice on what it looks like to be a leader. Hey, don't take all of this responsibility on yourself. 
find some men to bring around you who will carry that weight along with you. Moses learns a lot as a shepherd. And it's only after he's spent essentially 40 years of his life shepherding sheep out in the wilderness that God says, I think you're ready to lead my people out of Egypt. Go. Tell that king who sits on a throne that I, I, the Lord of Israel, am calling my people to me. It took 40 years of unlearning what it meant to be a king in order for Moses to be ready to be a shepherd. And Moses then leads the people, and, and a man who, without forethought, had killed a, a, an Egyptian slave driver and found himself in potential peril because he hadn't hidden it very well, hadn't thought ahead of what the circumstances might end up bringing on him, is now a man who is cautious, maybe a little too cautious when God calls him, but cautious nonetheless. He's thoughtful about what will happen if he goes before Pharaoh, and he, he has some planning that happens. You know, God has everything under control, but Moses wants to make sure he understands the plan before he gets there. And we talk a lot about how Moses is like, hey, you know, I'm not a great speaker. I don't know that I'm the right one to go. God, is this really what you want? Who am I going to tell them sent me? There's hesitancy. Sometimes we overplay that hesitancy. I think this is a man who has learned, I need to know the details before I'm going to make this decision. God, are you really sure that I'm the one that you're going to send? There's forethought. There's planning. There's thinking ahead. And Moses, in the wilderness, once the Egyptians have left, or the Israelites have left Egypt, finds himself in a position where he's, he's required to constantly be thinking about what's best for the entire flock. In fact, it becomes one of the greatest burdens he faces, and what ends up happening is that they all come to him for adjudication of their, their different issues that they face. You know, where uh, if there's a quarrel between two people, Moses is the one that's called on to solve the problem. And it becomes a pretty great weight for him, but he does it well. It's just exhausting to him, and that's when his father-in-law recommends, hey, bring some of the men around you to help lighten this load. You shouldn't be hearing every case for Israel. He's learned to maybe unload some of the burden on someone else as well so that he can more effectively do the work that he's been called to do. That's Moses, a man who had to learn to care for the flock in order to lead God's people, a man who had to think through what was going to come next, a man who weighed and balanced what he was experiencing come to the best possible decision he could. Now, Moses was not a perfect man, of course. We see that he ends up having trouble with his patience at times, but there are times where God actually puts his patience to the test to see whether or not Moses will answer correctly. There's a moment when Israel is just, they're going off the rails, and God has communicated his plan to Moses. He said, this is the people that I'm calling out of Egypt so that they will be a nation for me, a light to the other nations. And God says to Moses, you know what? I'm done with them. I'm going to start over with just you and your household. I'm going to wipe them out. They're, they're gone. And Moses is like, God, no. Remember the plan. I know who you are. That's not you. God tests Moses. He tests his patience, his ability to remember the plan, to remember what it is that this whole thing is all about. Moses learned that as a shepherd. David begins his story as a shepherd. 
David begins the story caring for his father's flocks. He begins the story as the young man who is among the sheep, who protects them from lions and bears. He's, he's a young man who is brave and courageous and not afraid to do what is right to protect the flocks of his father. And, and that's the thing that in many ways is the best quality that David carries over into his kingship. At the beginning of his kingship, he does what is necessary for the best and the greatest good of all of his people. But as David settles into his kingship, something is lost. You know, in, in the beginning of the story, we have a lot of contrasting between David and Saul, the man that he will replace. Saul is a man who doesn't quite go far enough often. Uh, his father's donkeys uh, break loose, and he has to go hunt them down, and he gets to a town, and he's like, I'm done. I'm just going to give up. And one of his servants has to tell him, no, let's go see the seer, and the seer will tell us where the donkeys are, and then we'll be good. And, and only at the compulsion of someone else does Saul take that next step. Does he go the extra mile to do the thing that's necessary to care for his father's animals, not sheep, but animals? David, on the other hand, is always going the extra mile in order to do what he knows needs to be done. That's the characteristic between David and, and Saul that we are having played up when David goes to fight Goliath. Saul doesn't go fight Goliath. Saul, the king of Israel, the man that's supposed to stand as the symbol in front of the people to lead them into what it is that God is calling them to, he doesn't do that. That's something a shepherd would do. A shepherd gets out in front of the flock and walks ahead and says, hey, come follow me. We're going this way. And the sheep follow because they've seen that pattern that if we follow the shepherd, wherever he leads, even if we don't know where we're going, it's going to be a safe situation. David goes out in front of the army of Israel and stands before Goliath and slays the giant. Not because he's super confident in himself, but because he's confident in God. And he's shaming the Israelite army. Wait, aren't you the the army of God? Aren't you God's people? Aren't you the nation of Israel? Why are you quaking in your boots at the sign of a single giant? Let's go fight. And he does it, and he goes out, and of course, the people love David because of it, and they start singing kind of apocryphal songs. David slayed his tens of thousands. You know, it's, it's interesting because he hasn't done a whole lot yet. Like, we don't really know why they're so excited about David, other than the fact that he's done what a shepherd does. He goes out in front of the flock, and he leads them in the direction that they need to go. And for years, David sits on the throne, and for, for a while, David is the king that goes out into battle. But there comes a point in his life where David says, you know, I can lead from the back. We all know the story. David, uh, David is at home in the spring when the kings go out to war. That's how the story begins. But David, David doesn't go out to war. He sends his armies out, he sends generals out, and he stays behind. And it's when the shepherd decides no longer to lead, no longer to shepherd, that he finds himself in trouble. When he's not out in front of the flock, when he's not among the sheep, he forgets his purpose. He forgets what it is that God has called him to, and he falls into temptation, and he falls into sin, and he falls into struggle. And not just David, but the entire nation of Israel, his entire family, struggles as a result of this. 
David's family falls apart because he fails to stand among the sheep and lead from the front. See, these are two stories that play out very differently. One man begins a shepherd and becomes a king and forgets what it means to be a shepherd. The other man begins a prince and is humbled to the position of shepherd and then rises to lead God's people. And David has to remember what it is that he was called for in the first place. In fact, Nathan, Nathan uses the sheep metaphor to explain what it is that he's done wrong. God has given you an abundant flock, but your eye was tempted by another. You wanted what God hadn't given to you instead of what God had given to you. And if you had been more focused on your flock instead of that one ewe lamb over there, none of this catastrophe would have been befallen. This morning, I want us to think about how these two stories might apply to eldership. God calls a particular type of man. God prepares a particular type of person to lead his people. And I want us to think about some of these qualities specifically that, that we see in shepherds in general, but I think we also see play out in the life of David and Moses. Um, up here, we have this statement that a shepherd leads from the field. He guards from within the flock and knows the path to follow. These are, these are I think, the key and essential qualities that we see in shepherds that we should be looking for in our elders. The first is the, this idea that he's not far off. He's not, not distant from what's going on with the flock. He's present in what is actively going on. He's participating in the work that is happening. He guards the flock from within. That was a weird wording on the screen. I don't know why I did that. Guards from within the flock. Uh, he guards the flock from within the flock. He knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. There is a, a, a presence, a, a comfortable relationship, a realization that I know who this is. I know what he's about. I don't need to be afraid of him. I don't know if you've ever been around sheep that don't know you. They're easily spooked and startled. Like, it's, it's really easy to get a sheep to, like, bolt because you got too close to it, and it doesn't know who you are. Now, if you've ever been to a petting zoo, those sheep are completely different. They're, like, desensitized to absolutely everything. And so all they know is this shape right here is food. And so they'll come to anything that makes this shape tan, right? Um, a traditional flock of sheep is, is going to spook at an unfamiliar person. It's going to be afraid by anything that comes in from the outside that it doesn't know. But the shepherds, they're so close to the sheep. They're so present so often. There's the book, you know, They Smell Like Sheep. Uh, you know, this idea that, that the scent of the shepherd itself is familiar to the flock. A good elder, good elder has a, a relationship with the people that are God's flock. They know him. They know what he's about. They know that where he's going to walk 
is safe. It may be a little terrifying at times, you know. We have that, that Psalm 23 that talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. Sometimes God leads us in to some dangerous places, places that feel a little terrifying, but we know that where God is leading to is worth the risk of where we must walk in order to get there. And our elders should act in the same way. Sometimes we may feel a little bit of trepidation about following the elders where it is that they're leading, but not trepidation about following them specifically. We shouldn't feel trepidation about where they might be leading us to, even if it feels difficult or a little frightening getting there. Maybe a little uncomfortable. If you can look at a man and say, I'd follow him through the valley of the shadow of death to get where he's going. That's the kind of man you want to have as an elder. He knows the path to follow because he's been following that path himself. A man that you can look at and say, I've seen him walk in the steps of Jesus. I've seen him walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come out on the other side to the green pastures and the still waters. Moses does that with the people. Moses walks through the wilderness among them. Moses gets them to the oasis in the wilderness, even as they complain about not getting there fast enough. And, oh, we're almost out of water. It's been several days, and what is God going to do for us? He can't possibly save us from this. Fine. God will give you water now, but if he had just waited for the oasis we're walking towards. And the people learn to trust Moses over a period of time because Moses continually shows them that the path that he walks is the one that God has called him to. David forgets sometimes the path that God has called him to. This morning, I want to leave us with one particular thought. Uh, we'll talk more next week about the, the uh, First Timothy passages, and we'll talk about Titus, and we'll talk a little bit more about what it is that Peter said to us this morning. But I want to leave us with this thought. If the man that you look at to be an elder is a man that you can say safely is a shepherd. That's the kind of man you want leading the church. Because they're not going to do it from a distance. They're not going to do it without being among the people. They're not going to do it without knowing where they're going. They're going to be a man who has a plan. They're going to be a man who has thought through what it is that God is calling them to. And they may do it with a little bit of trepidation. They may not be entirely sure, God, are you positive that I'm the right one for this? I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. You provide me answers here, God, so that I know that this is really what you're calling me towards. There should be a little bit of hesitancy. There should be a little bit of, hey, is this really what God is calling me to? But I think oftentimes the hesitancy is on the part of the man that is being called and not so much on the part of those who are looking towards them as a leader. We are looking for elders right now, additional elders to add to the, the group that will help shepherd and guide our congregation, men that we are willing to submit to, individuals that we look at and we say they follow God where God calls, they walk the path that Jesus walked, they may, they may have some trepidation about 
but they know that the distance or the point to which we're traveling is worth it. Be praying for men like that. Because I think we can all look at our congregation and we can see men who fall into that category, men that look like shepherds, men who are among the flock, men who lead from within, men who love this congregation. Be praying for them. Because I can, I can promise you, right now, they are experiencing a little bit of trepidation. God, is this what you're calling me towards? Is this what you want for me? Is this what you want for your church? Be praying for them. Those are the men that we want to have in our leadership. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you, you call men who are, who are planners, who are thoughtful, who are sometimes very cautious, but men who have a path. Men who want to see your kingdom on the move. Not lying still, not waiting, not, not uh, simply thinking about what it will be like when your son returns, but instead envisioning what the kingdom of God is doing now. And desperately longing to bring that about. Men who have thought about your path, who want to walk in your footsteps, who want to be shepherds underneath the chief shepherd. Father, we want elders who have no desire to be king. We want elders who know what it means to set aside their best interests for the, the kingdom of heaven, for the people that they are among. We want elders who are created in your image, men that we can genuinely call men after your own heart. And so, Father, within our body, we know that those men exist, and we pray for them. We pray for the, the lack of ease they may feel in accepting uh, that position. But, Father, we pray that you give them the, the peace that they need. That as they find themselves asking, God, am I the right person for this job? I don't speak particularly well. I, I'm, not, I'm not a successful businessman. I don't have uh, all of the... the uh, essential qualities of a, a leadership uh, or a, a business leader. Father, let, remind them that you call men who are shepherds. Help us to be keeping our eyes open for those men. Help those of us who, who long someday to be an elder, to live into uh, those qualities. Help us as, as leaders within your church as individuals within your church, to adopt these qualities ourselves so that we might lead others to the safe path, so that we might lead others to the pastures that you have prepared for them. Father, I, I, pray, I pray for the elders that you are raising up in this congregation, but I pray for all of us to adopt these, these qualities. We thank you for your son Jesus, and we thank you for the ways in which he informs us about what what a, a true shepherd looks like who is willing to lay down his life for the flock, who is willing to lose none of what you have given him. We love you and we love him and we pray, God, that we can show it through our actions, through our words, uh, through the way that we live on a, a daily basis. Just help us to be more like your son. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This week, I challenge you to be praying for our future elders. I challenge you to be praying for the men in our congregation that God has prepared and been raising up to fill this role. Men who are shepherds, men who love God's people, men who are among us and involved in the work that we are, we are pursuing. We're going to continue our worship this morning, and Jeff is going to lead us. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what can I buy? Yeah. 
Good morning, church. I hope that you are all well. This week, or this past week, the 23rd Psalm has come to my awareness several times. And I spent time thinking about it and pondering on it. And I thought this morning that it would be good to share with you a, a couple of thoughts from the 23rd Psalm. David was a man after God's own heart. He started out as a shepherd. His life would have been relatively simple. But then one day he became the hero of Israel by killing Goliath. And then after God anointed him, Saul becomes aware that he will be replaced by David as king. And he becomes jealous and even tries to kill David. So David flees and hides in the mountains, in the caves. And his life as he was king became a, a, a time of tragedy, losing a son, also of, of great wars. He, David was a warrior king. And finally, towards the end of his life, he fights a final battle against his own son, who's trying to steal his throne. Somewhere in there, he wrote the 23rd Psalm. We have no idea when. There are a lot of speculations about it, but I, whether he wrote it when he was young or when he was old, I believe that it was the way he thought of his life all the way through it. 
I think he drew a great deal of strength from it. And I think that that's what helped him to become known as a man after God's own heart. This morning, I would like to read the 23rd Psalm. I, I could read it from the King James, but I think, which is very lyrical and very beautiful, but some of the meaning gets lost. So this morning, I'm going to read from a easier translation, a more modern one, to catch a couple things in meaning. The Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything I need. He lets me lie down in fields of green grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. He gives me new strength. He guides me in right paths for the honor of his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a feast for me right in front of my enemies. You pour oil on my head. My cup runs over. I am sure that your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is a psalm saying, God gives me everything I need for my life. That whatever I need here on earth, he takes care of me. My cup runs over. But I think there's a secret here. The reason David is referred to as a man after God's own heart is because he knows. I think he knows Jesus, maybe not by name or, but more with the assurance that God will send his savior to save him. I believe David knows that God's love and goodness have pursued him or followed him all of his life. And now he can say with surety that I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This morning, we as Christians come together to remember Jesus, the very same, the very same Jesus, the Jesus that saved David saves us. And this feast that we have been prepared for is a reminder to remind us of that Jesus, that Jesus saves us. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now thanking you for this bread, which is the body of Christ. The Christ who died for us on the cross, the Christ who gave us the church. Now, Father, as we partake of this, bless us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, ring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. In my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day Hey, let's go to God and talk to him. He's here to listen. Lord God, it was good to be here this morning. We appreciate the chance to get back together. And uh, for those people online, we appreciate the way our hearts can unite and worship you. Uh, we're grateful that we have a great shepherd. Uh, you are a great shepherd, God, and your son uh, showed us how to walk on this earth. And we're grateful for that. We are very, very happy that we can be called your flock. Thank you for the lesson that Chris gave us this morning. We all needed that. Uh, I know I was really blessed by it, and I'm sure we all are. We appreciate his insight. Uh, Lord, we do need this church to grow. Newburgh needs to find Jesus. Newburgh needs to find your kingdom. And we need to grow this coming year. And in order to do that, we need more elders, we need more deacons, we need more ministry leaders. Lord, we are really grateful that uh, people have worked hard to get a vaccine and we're praying that you'll bless it, that it will be able to be effective, that it will be safe, and that the COVID problems 
will come under control. Uh, we're looking forward to the day when this building will be full again and we won't have uh, every third, uh, two out of three rows closed off. So uh, we're grateful for the way things are moving forward. We are grateful for the way your kingdom's working here on this earth now. Uh, thank you for all the cards that we got this week and for the phone calls and the way that people are staying connected. Uh, thank you for the chances to visit with each other. Uh, thank you for the online classes that are available for adults and also for the kids. Uh, thank you that Norma has put out enough that kids can have a Bible story every day and keep learning about your word. Lord, we're grateful for the chance to do benevolence. We've been able to help some members who are on hard times. We've been able to help non-members. Thank you that there are good people in this church that give so that your kingdom can help other people. Lord, uh, over 200 quilts went to people who lost their homes in wildfires this week. And we are so grateful for the people who have made that happen in this church. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for the small groups that we have. Some are meeting in person, some are online. But we pray that you'll bless them and you'll help them to grow. Uh, Lord, there's preparation going for missions. Uh, we pray for the Rockwells and for Let's Start Talking and the people in South America who are working to get ready for them to come later this year. Please bless them. Uh, we're looking into some other opportunities in the Seattle area to help with missions and also in here in Oregon to help your kingdom grow. And Lord, we need to have vision, have your vision, for how we can help the kingdom to grow here in Weaver. Uh, like we focused on this morning, we are looking for more leadership. Uh, we're hoping that as COVID winds down, that we'll be able to have more elders, more deacons, more ministry leaders, and that everyone will have a way to help make your kingdom spread. We're especially thankful for Jesus this morning. Uh, thankful for the Christmas time when we can all sing about him and hear songs about him on the radio and appreciate what a blessing he is to this world. Help us to follow that shepherd. It's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. And you are dismissed, and uh, I believe that the uh, appropriate way is for everybody to exit via the front. Front rows lead the way. <laughs>